0: Just read the account on the disciples seeing Christ on the way to a uh, on the way to Emmaus. And what's always really fascinating me about this gospel is the fact that they didn't recognize him. They, they walk. He appears to them. They walk with him. They're conversing about the events that took place in Jerusalem, but they don't actually recognize that it is Jesus with them. The question is, what is it that blinds us to the presence of God? to the presence of grace in our lives. That's what I want to explore today. It's a perfect time because I just watched one of my favorite Easter movies I always come back to, uh, The Thin Red Line. It's a Terrence Mallett film. It's, it explores like the inner life of soldiers as they're going through war. And what it's really about is how each one will experience the same reality but take from it something different. It's not about what you look at, it's what you see, how you interpret it. And there's one great quote in that movie that says, one man looks at a dying bird and thinks there's nothing but unanswered pain. That death's got the final word. It's laughing at him. Another man sees that same dying bird, but he feels the glory. Feels something smiling through it. You just look, think about the crucifix. How many people look at a crucifix and all they see is unanswered pain? And yet we look at it and we see the glory of God. How many people look at the host in mass and see nothing but absence, spread? And we experience God smiling through it to all of us. So how do we see the glory in the world? And even more importantly, how do we become blinded to God's presence in our lives? I think really what blinded the disciples, the words that really jumped out were, we were hoping. We were hoping he would be the one to redeem Israel. So they had an understanding of Jesus that was different than what God actually was offering them. And that, that reveals an idol. Because every one of us lives with idols. Projections upon reality of a place where we're hoping that we'll find salvation. We're hoping we'll find order, a semblance of peace. And we project those idols onto the world. And when they break down, our faith crumbles with it. But our idols also blind us. They blind us to the true nature of reality. Because when we have the wrong expectations, when our hope is wrong, it blinds us to the grace of what is actually present in reality. So I've told you before, like C.S. Lewis, he talks about the three stages of love: illusionment, disillusionment, and reillusionment. And so, in relationships, especially, it's easy to see. In the beginning of a relationship, you're totally illusioned by the other person, and you're very much infatuated. Infatuation actually comes from the words "infatuare," means to make foolish. So infatuation in the beginning, we become foolish because we project the image of perfection on the person we fall in love with. And we actually, what we love is not that person yet, but we love the image of who they are in our mind. But then comes the stage of disillusionment. Right? The honeymoon is over, sage. And then you start to see them for their flaws and for their reality. And you also start to question, are you the one that I actually love? Or do I go to another? What's breaking down there is the illusion. Here's actually a saying that love is a dew that evaporates at the first rays of reality. When you start to really see the other person in reality, those initial emotions of love fade. And this is the point. That's where the relationship actually begins. When the illusion that we have of another person, or what we thought or were hoping life would be, and that crumbles, and we see it for what it is in reality, that's where we can actually build a relationship with anyone or anything. Because it's no longer in our own mind. It's based on somebody objectively. And that's where you experience re-illusion, when you decide to stay in a relationship. When you go through it, then you can start to see the grace flowing for who they are. And the apostles on the road to Emmaus, they experienced all three. Right? So they had their understanding, their hopes of who Christ would be that was built up over the three years that they spent with him, walking with him, eating with him. Miracles. And they all built up hopes of who Jesus would be and how he would redeem the world. And all of those hopes crumbled on Calvary. It was disillusioned by the death of Christ. And this is even after they've heard about the resurrection accounts and that the women even said that the tomb was empty and yet they're still walking away. When our idols crumble and we are disillusioned, it takes away all of our hope. But then by the end of this gospel, when they experience Christ in the breaking of the bread, that's when that re comes back to them. So we can only love what is real. We can't love an idol because it doesn't actually exist. So the Jesus that the apostles loved wasn't actually the Christ the ones they were hoping in. They had to wait till they experienced that. And that's the greatest danger, I think, for all of us in our life. To love more the idea we have about someone or something rather than who they are in reality. I had a really beautiful conversation with some of the guys the other night about vocational discernment. And you should never choose your vocation or the person you're going to marry when you're infatuated when you're illusioned, that's not the time to give your yes. You have to wait until it's disillusioned. When you smell their fart for the first time, it's like that's, you're the one now, I know. You have to wait until that time because that's when you build it on solid ground because most of life is ordinary. And once you experience another person for who they are or the church for what she is, and see, I choose you in the midst of your insufficiencies, you can only go uphill from there. And that's when you start to experience the re-illuminations along the way of the first glimpse of love that you had at the beginning. And I think the biggest difficulty that we have in our age is the internet. The internet is the place of idol worship, and it's affecting all of us in different ways. Because what idols do is they take us into our mind to try to understand. When grace takes us into our hearts, into reality, where we burn with love. Those are the two movements. So I always say that pornography and social media are the same thing for different genders. And I know it affects all of us in in similar ways, but for men primarily, what pornography does is it blinds us to the reality of women in front of us. We fall in love with an idol of women on the computer that's not real. But by doing that, we can't see the women in front. We can't appreciate them. And social media is doing the same thing, especially to women in our times. Because what it leads women to do is, is idolize masculinity. And become blinded to the normal man that's just right in front of them. Maybe right in front of you in your pew right now is the man you're supposed to marry, But you don't see that because you're on Facebook. You know, <laughs> Idols blind us. And many people are walking around blind to the reality of the grace that's being offered them. You know, and it makes us obsessed with the news. That's why when Christ came and appeared to the apostles, what were they talking about? They were talking and discussing and debating everything that had happened in Jerusalem in those days. How often do we get off the internet and come to God in church? Did you hear what Biden just did? Did you hear what the Pope just said? Are you the only one who's uninformed about everything that's going on in this world? Jesus is just like, yeah, tell me. Tell me, what sorts of things, you foolish men? Because little by little, it's sucking away our faith. Right? What he says to them is not that it's not that they didn't understand scripture. He says, you foolish men, you didn't believe. They lost faith. I experienced, every one of us has our own idols. And I think we can all, that's something to discern within our own heart what that is. My idol has always been the church because I love the church. When I really converted to the faith back when I was in college, I saw the church as a perfect society that would save me from the sufferings of this world. All my hope went to the church to be the one secure place in the midst of all the chaos I'd find in the world. And then I joined it and then that all got thrown away very quickly. But I was... a. Uh, it really had a wake-up call. I was illusioned with the church for many years, but my disillusionment came in the summer I was ordained a priest. They called it the summer of shame. And no, it's not because I was ordained at that time. All right? <laughs> but just within a few years of my ordination, uh, sorry, a few months of my ordination, the McCarrick scandal broke, the Vigano letter came out accusing Pope Francis, the Pennsylvania report came out. The Tridentine Mass began to blew up in the U.S. And all of a sudden I found myself in a total vocation crisis of like, where is the true church? Who can I actually trust? If it's not the Pope and not the bishops, maybe I've been ordained into the wrong church. Maybe I need to go somewhere else. And of course I did the most logical thing when you're confused and you go on YouTube because YouTube has all the answers to problems, right? And so I, I honestly became obsessed. It was like a drug trying to understand everything that was going on in the church, right? It, it was my idol. So what was I doing? I was going more and more in my head, thinking if I can just understand it, then I can, I can get through it. And yet what happened with that is I think was common um, occurrence with our idols. I became a judge, I became so separated from the people, my own parishioners who were right in front of me because I no no longer felt like we were part of the same church. And I began to judge the church as insufficient. Whenever we have an idol, we also become the judge. So those who idolize another gender, you also become a judge of genders and you say they're insufficient. When you become your idol is the government, So often we become a judge of the government and always deem it insufficient. Same thing can go with the church. Same thing can happen with our families. The more we try to idolize our families and see its brokenness, we become a judge of our families and then we're separated from our families. And that's the great satanic temptation. Satan historically has always been understood as the perfect intellect. The one who understands everything perfectly and judges it as insufficient. God was insufficient. God's world is insufficient. God's church is insufficient. And God's people are insufficient. And who who of any of us have not experienced that, uh, that inclination in our life before? The more we judge the more we deem the other insufficient. And that all changed in one moment for me. I was covering a mass in Coeur d'Alene in St. Thomas. It was a Saturday evening mass. There was nothing special about it. It wasn't this cool because you guys weren't there, but it was just a normal church up there. And I had driven up the entire time listening to different podcasts and just debating in my own mind and with other people of like-minded irritations with the church about what to do. And I was in the middle of that that mass at the moment of consecration, said the words, and I lifted up the body of Christ. And I don't think I've ever had such a strong, sentient experience of Jesus Christ in the Holy Eucharist before that moment. And all I could think in shock was you're here. You're still here. In the midst of all the problems and all the corruption and all the chaos that's going in the church, you're still giving yourself to everyone right here in front of me. And I was blind. I didn't see it. In that moment, it changed me because it gave me the grace To love the church with Christ's own love of the church. In one moment, all of my ideas, all of my fears, all of my worries went away because I descended into my heart with Christ on that altar. Who am I to judge the church if Jesus Christ is still giving himself to her? And I'm supposed to be his priest. But I was blind to it, because I became a judge. But that was my moment of re-illusionment. When I saw the glory of God present in the Catholic Church as she is in all her insufficiencies. And that love has remained. Like that's where, where I dug my vows into the priesthood and into the church right there on that altar. Idols take us into our minds as judges of reality and we become blind. The grace of God takes us into our hearts and we become lovers of reality. And it is there that we, like the apostles, we burn our hearts burn with love. And in one moment, that same Christ who gave himself to the apostles on the road to Emmaus at that Last Supper, the same Christ who descended into that parish in Coeur is going to give himself to us right here in this moment. And the degree that we really recognize Jesus Christ in the breaking of the bread, offering himself to every single one of us in the midst of whatever chaos or brokenness or idol worship that we are suffering from, to the degree that we recognize that, we too, like the disciples, will experience that same burning of heart and love of the church and of our lives and of everything that God has given us just as it is we too will see the glory of God shining through it all.